The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to High FM, where we always have freshest and most exciting information you could ever imagine. And technology, without question, just never stops. Well, interestingly, in the last few weeks, there have been some big changes and with the with September rolling on really quickly, we are going to see a whole lot of launches. It's obviously, despite the COVID pandemic, despite the havoc that has roiled the world the last couple of months, this is the busiest time of the year for tech. People are back to work on, on, on September 1, and, you know, we're all busy and doing our thing and getting going. So there's going to be a lot of new products, a lot of new technologies, a lot of new things happening over the next little while. So stay tuned. I'm going to try to bring you as many of them as I can. And um, unfortunately, won't be uh, attending any big conferences this year. The bad news is that CES, the largest tech conference in the world, has been cancelled in Las Vegas, always the first week of January, and has been for the last 30, 40 years. It's been pretty insane has been cancelled and moved on to a virtual conference, but we'll see where we go on that thereafter. Well, a quick update. Huawei have been in the news for all the wrong and right reasons over the last little while. Rolled out a lot of the 5G networks that are operational in South Africa right now. Great. However, their little spat with, uh, call it a war, not a spat, with the USA has escalated. And in the last two weeks, the Commerce Department in America announced further restrictions on Huawei technologies and all their various subsidiary companies. And essentially what they've done is restrict any company that uses American technology in the manufacture of anything that is supplied to Huawei uh, have been now moved onto the banned list. The simple impact of that, the effect of that is is chilling and restrictive beyond anything that Huawei could have ever hoped for. And it means that their chips, some of their most uh, important chips within their smart devices, within their modems, within their uh, cellular equipment that goes on to the various masts, with their back-end servers, you name it, will no longer be able to be man- manufactured. And in fact, while they have announced that they're going to stop all their own chip manufacture because they simply can't. They were made at a company called TMC in Taiwan, one of the, the the most advanced foundries or companies that make silicon chips in the world. I mean, they're way ahead of many of the other competitors, such as Intel. And um, they can no longer make these chips. And although they've stockpiled a huge amount over the last little while, within 8 to 12 months, they will no longer be able to create the product that they make. And they can't even buy third-party chips from third-party vendors. So effectively, this announcement really does put um, a massive kink in their ability to supply and deliver product and product that, you know, they've really been good at for the last little while, such as smartphones and modems and you name it, to the market. Now, we'll have a quick break for our sponsors now, and then I'll be back with another little blow to Huawei, unfortunately, which has a very direct impact on all of you who have Huawei devices right now. So we'll be back straight after this. 
This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now back to, I think, a more disturbing development with regard to Huawei and Huawei phones specifically. Now, we, I've, I've explained that Huawei have got their own alternative to Google. All new Huawei phones from May 2019 last year may not have any Google services, which are called GMS, um, on their phones. So you cannot get Google Maps working fully. You can sideload certain things. But essentially, all Huawei phones, the P40, Mate 40, all of those guys that have launched in the last little while, the light versions as well, do not have access to Google Apps. And within the context of, of the West and, and where we live in South Africa, that creates a huge problem. Now, what Google did, what Huawei did to avoid the whole Google problem or to try to mitigate the Google problem is to come up with something they call Huawei Mobile Services, HMS, which does effectively the same job as GMS. The difference is they have around about 49,000 apps in their app store growing quite quickly because they're throwing a ton of money at app developers and game developers and the various people out there to get their apps onto the Huawei app store. Um, and compare that to millions, tens, hundreds of millions of apps on the Google app store. It's, it's a little bit of a, a challenge. Let's put it that way. And as I reviewed the P40 a little while back, I said that it's the most frustrating phone, outstanding hardware, but the lack of some basic apps that I use every day just completely breaks it for me. But that is not where it stops. All the P30s and prior phones still ran Google and continue to run Google, and there's no problem with that until now. What has happened is that their extension for access to these various services and updates and everything expired on the 13th of August. And the net effect of that is that any Huawei phone that runs full Google or Google um, managed services or anything of that sort will no longer be updatable from now. So if you've got one and Google releases new versions of this, of their software, new versions of their security settings, new security updates, which were coming regularly once every month or two, those will no longer be available on Huawei phones, and that may well start impacting basic apps like um, banking apps, secured apps, and that for me is just a huge, huge problem. So for the next 18 months to two years, most people won't notice that their phone is no longer updating. Most apps will continue to work just as they have in the past. The chances of any security breaches are not huge, it really won't have a massive impact on you if you have a Huawei phone. But if, uh, and at the same time, Huawei are loading HMS on all those phones and will obviously try to mitigate a lot of the security issues and updates using the HMS platform rather than the Google GMS platform. But all of this is a massive workaround and for me essentially makes the the benefit of owning a Huawei phone as compared to all the other phones on the market and, and ones that do not have these restrictions, very, very, very much more problematic than it was in the past. And I mean, this is no reflection on Huawei, but it is a reflection on the situation that exists. So my sort of considered advice in this space is avoid Huawei handsets completely. If you have a Huawei handset and you have an upgrade, look elsewhere. There are some brilliant, uh, very 
competitive products on the low end from Nokia, from Samsung, um, and the high end again from Samsung and a couple of other players like LG and Sony. So it just doesn't make sense to to restrict yourself or have a product that is so hugely problematic in so many different small and 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 even some big ways. So sad because I think Huawei have come a long way in a very short period. They've got some outstanding hardware. Some of their their camera phones are some of the best on the market and feature for feature. They're actually incredibly hard to beat. But you don't buy a phone anymore. None of us buy just simply a piece of hardware with a shiny front and back and a camera and, a, and, and you know, make calls. We buy into an ecosystem. We, we exist within a technology ecosystem, either with our work, with Microsoft, with Google, um, and with the various platforms that exist in the market. And all these little things like the SARS app and store apps and, you know, you name it, all little things like the new gym apps. If you want to go to gym and you want to book those apps, some work, some don't. It just becomes a, a bit of a hit and miss situation. And it's very frustrating if you can't do that stuff on your shiny new uh, Huawei phone. So that's where we are, unfortunately. There's not much that can be said about that. I will keep uh, you informed as and when that changes. Hopefully, they reach some sort of accommodation in the nearest future. But right now, that is the reality. They can't bring out new chips. So new phones are probably going to be less powerful and less smart than they used to be. And um, their current range of phones, those that run Google, will not get updated any further. So challenges all around, and we will see what happens with that. Well, moving on to something that's much more fun and much more exciting and certainly shows us where the world is going is Ford have got decided to hire a whole bunch of new employees. And those employees are four-legged robots from a company called Boston Dynamics. Now, Boston Dynamics is one of the leading robot manufacturers in the world. And uh, these things look like little yellow dogs, tech dogs, of course, but dogs. And they've given them interesting names like Spot and Fluffy. <laughs> so Ford have got Spot and Fluffy running around their uh, their factory, and what they're actually doing is quite smart. They are around about 30 kilos. They quadruped, quadro, quadruped robots. In other words, they look like, you know, dog-like. They've got like a little head, then they've got four legs, and they can actually maneuver around the most incredible spaces all autonomously. And um, they've even got a handler, a lady called Paula Weeblehouse. And of the two of them, as I said, one's called Spot and the other one's called Fluffy. And what they're going to be doing with these things is they can travel up to five kilometers on a battery that lasts nearly two hours. And they're going to be used to scan the plant floor and assist the engineers in updating the original computer-aided designed production plant. And um, so when they get ready to either upgrade or retool the plants for new models or whatever, they've got incredible amount of data to do that. And the biggest problem is right now is that they had to do that manually. They had to use tripods and quantity, and quantity surveyors and all sorts of people floating around to, to do it. Meanwhile, now all they can do is let Fluffy out and spot and let them wander around the factory, scanning and taking 3D pictures of absolutely everything. And uh, it all gets done. And it also, they say, was very expensive because to get a professional company in cost them around about $300,000 just to scan one facility. Well, using Fluffy and Spot, they can probably get it done at, what, 10% of that. 
So expect to see it. And this is where it is. It's, it's, it's a sign into the future. We're all going to have fluffies and spots that you charge up at night and get them out there. So kudos to Ford for being so forward thinking. And we'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe. I don't have an interview today, but I've got some really interesting tech that we're going to talk about from Fitbit and how generally health tech is just moving along in leaps and bounds. And we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now moving on to um, Fitbit. Fitbit yesterday announced a whole new range of Fitbit gear. And that's about right. Every September they, they tend to do that. And um, interestingly as well, Fitbit is now, well, potentially, there's still some hurdles to overcome, but potentially has been bought by Google. And it just indicates how incredibly competitive and important the wearables market has become. I was having this conversation this week with a number of people saying that three years ago when I went to Las Vegas to CES, there was a Nazarick Hall full of suppliers of various types, styles, makes, and, and even, well, a ton of potential wearable type products to monitor, measure, and assist in all manner of healthcare training, you name it. Whatever it was, someone was trying to measure it. That whole market has settled down enormously over the last little while. And um, there are only a few major players. Number one in the wearables, and we're talking about watches, smartwatches market, is Apple. Without question, globally, they are number one in terms of just the number of products they've got in the market across a whole price range to the sheer number of products actually units actually sold. Apple has done an incredibly good job. Taking up the rear is Samsung and then a whole ho and Fitbit. Sorry, I've got to you know give you a little context there. So between Fitbit, Samsung and Apple, they have pretty much the lion's share of the general wearables market. And there are many others, Sunto, Garmin, you name it, we got it. They've got tons and tons of different products out there. And there are many smaller, lesser-known products because, obviously, you know, the market was quite attractive. But essentially, things have settled down enormously, and the, the four big players out there are really fighting really hard to differentiate and grow their product range. Well, Fitbit, as I said, annually tend to release brand-new product, but this time they've not just released an upgraded and updated product. They've actually introduced a completely new category of of sensor and um, smartwatch and whatever you want to call it. And it has what is called an electrodermal activity sensor. Now, this is where it gets super, super interesting and uh, super, I think, geeky if you want to put it that way. But what they've called it is the new Fitbit Sense and the electrodermal activity get used to it, EDA sensor, will help to manage stress along with the advanced heart rate tracking technology so they can do EKGs, which they couldn't do, or ECGs, not EKGs, ECGs, which they couldn't do. And they can also take your temperature on your wrist, which is quite interesting. And as an aside, 
if you are a Fitbit user, you might have got an email to say, do you want to participate in a bit of a study globally to see if they can track COVID-19 symptoms using your Fitbit? And some of the results have just come out in the last couple of days showing that they absolutely can. That those that tested positive for COVID and were wearing Fitbits prior exhibited um, changes to their heart rate, to their sleep patterns, to all sorts of different things that uh, Fitbit track up to seven days prior to them being diagnosed or having any symptoms whatsoever. So if that's not validation of the ability for a fitness uh, band or a fitness tracker or a fitness wearable to really give you some useful information. Obviously, at this point, they haven't quite evolved that into an early warning system, but it would be very interesting. I think the next generation of smart devices are going to say to you, we've noticed that you have an elevated temperature. We've noticed that your heart rate has become a little this and that, and your blood pressure has increased slightly, and we do recommend you contact your nearest physician as quickly as possible. That is total science fiction, but it's totally going to happen, I predict, within the next 12 to 18 months. So we started to get there, but the new Fitbit Sense with the EDA sensor already takes things way, way, way ahead. Now, what the Fitbit Sense does is give you insight into your body's response to, to stress, and then they supply through their app the tools to help you manage your physical and mental stress. Now, stress is an insidious thing. Most of us cope. Most of us deal. You get busy. You ignore it. You go for a walk. You try to manage it, or you don't, or you just get freaked out and have a couple of beers, which apparently our government are very anti at the moment. <laughs> That's a story for another time. But essentially, managing stress is quite a challenge, and I think stress has become one of the key sort of medical and societal issues because when your body's under stress, certain biological things happen. It creates conditions where you become, uh, your, your immune system gets run down and you become more prone to diseases. And there's all sorts of other things like blood pressure and all sorts of other medical issues that are, are pretty, pretty poor for your health in, in, in the long term. And if you've got something that actually gives you a decent stress and heart health metric and combines. And I think that's where this gets really, really interesting. It's one thing to track your heart rate. It's one thing to track your steps. It's one thing to track your stress and your temperature and your, your VO2 max, which is the, uh, and your, your, they even track now the SpO2. So that's your blood oxygen saturation levels. It all gets super technical, but the difference is when they start combining all these measurements and overlaying that on what they understand the physiological impact of all these things is. So, again, with this sort of scope and scale and number of trackers and number of sensors that they've strapped to people's arms or people have strapped to their own arms over the last couple of years. So within sleep tracking, for example, Fitbit has billions upon billions of data points that have been picked up from people just casually connecting it up to their app and using it. Obviously, security is a huge issue. And I mean, they make a huge play about this is all anonymized. They don't, you know, your information is your information and the information that they use to create the algorithms and the co correlations with your health and your body activity are all uh, anonymized and don't really affect you. But essentially, getting this new Fitbit sensor 
gives you an insight into your body's response to stress. And then I've, I've looked at, I haven't seen the app yet because they haven't updated fully for it. The product will only be launched within the middle of September. And it's launching in South Africa quite at quite a high price. It'll launch at around about 8,000 Rand, give or take. You must obviously shop around in the usual manner. Um, and that, it's certainly starting to compete with more conventional Samsung and uh, Apple Watches. But right now, this is unique. There is no other product on the market that has this type of sensor array built in. So you obviously get your standard heart rate. You get your standard um, accelerometers and all the rest to track your running and your swimming and your gymming and whatever it is that you do. But when you add this whole EDA sensor on top of the whole thing, and what they start doing is that the stresses, and when we say stress, it's not just stress with regard to work stress and life stress and kids stress and yada yada. When you're exercising, you're putting your body under stress. And if that stress can be measured, managed and correlated to your performance, so to your heart rate and your VO2 saturation and all the rest of that stuff, you start getting an incredible insight into how you should train, when you should train, when you've overtrained, when you've undertrained, how you could push your body to the next level using this type of information. And I think, again, this may be the first, and certainly Fitbit have jumped ahead of the competitors in this space by adding an additional sensor of this nature and the back end to manage the information that comes from the sensor. And, you know, sweat levels and skin temperatures, etc., etc., all actually make a big difference. So when you've got all this stuff, I think we're going to see the next level. So blood pressure now becomes standard on, on a wristwatch. Things like this, I think we're going to see a huge jump in the ability of these devices to not diagnose, but at least assist in a vast range of medical health and just general well-being functionality that none of us actually thought about. And for the first time, I'm starting to see the promise that wearables actually did offer in the general, in the general sense of things. I mean, they all made huge gains, you know, huge claims around what you should do and what you shouldn't do and how they're going to improve your running and improve your gymming and improve your life in general. But generally, a lot of those sensors gave very inaccurate measurements. They weren't in any way clinically relevant. But now, between the sleep score, which runs from 1 to 100, um, and your stress management score, which also runs in that sort of range, you can start very quickly seeing, based on how you're doing, have two drinks before bed, does that affect me, do this, does it affect me, how do I manage this sort of stuff? And then when you couple it with the ECG measurement, which gives a very, very accurate heart rate management, uh, heart rate recording and measurement, and it can also warn you if there's any unusual activity. In fact, a friend of mine had, using a, an Apple Watch, was warned that he had a problem, and he was able to deal with it quite quickly. So I think this is going to be the beginning of a completely new way that we manage healthcare, manage stress, and I think it's just brilliant that this is finally available at a, a, in a device. And from all the reading that I've done and all the research that I've done in this space, 
the Fitbit is maybe not quite as accurate as those big fancy clinical machines that your doctor or, your, or the hospitals hook you up to. But I certainly think they are more than accurate enough and more than smart enough to be able to give you the necessary information that you would need to be able to really improve your health, improve your activity, just generally get a much greater insight into what it is that you're doing with your body at any point in time. So obviously the new sense from what I can see, haven't seen it, hopefully I can get one soon to play with, but it includes all the latest new gen, you know, new gen features that are expected in a smartwatch. It's got a built-in speaker and microphones. You can take calls and make calls. It doesn't have an eSIM, so you've got to link it to your phone. Um, it's got uh, Amazon Alexa or Google Voice Assistance built in, depending on which one you want to do. Thousands of apps and clock faces and all sorts of things. It also has Fitbit Pay, which I've used and I think is brilliant. I just wish Apple Pay would come to South Africa, but that's another story. And more important than that, and this is something that a lot of the smartwatches in the market don't get right, it has an, had a really impressive six-plus days of battery life, which is quite a big deal um, because, one, I found sleeping with watches is a problem because if you sleep with a watch, you get up in the morning, your watch is flat. Do you have the time to charge it quickly or not? It's a challenge. But six days battery life, you can pretty much charge once a week. Not really think about it. And um, it uh, it really makes a big, big, big difference. So I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to the new Fitbit uh, products and the new Fitbit watches. I think they are pretty insane in terms of what they're doing. They've updated their... Um, They've updated the rest of their – the Fitbit Sense obviously now is their premium one. comes with a whole range of straps. They've never been great with straps. I've always found that straps and the accessories are not easy to get. So you sort of wear what you get in the box, and they've upgraded their strap to a nice – it looks like a really good quality silicon strap, um, and it comes in black and, and sort of slightly – not even a rose gold, but a slightly sort of blonde gold, which looks pretty cool. And the screen is – much a little bit bigger and, and looks very high quality. They've also upgraded um, the Fitbit Versa to the Versa 3 with some of the, the, the same enhanced functionality of the Sense. Obviously, they don't have the EDA sensor in it, but it will be approximately half the price, which is not a bad idea, but they've upgraded the screen, they've upgraded the internal sensors so that you get a slightly more accurate view of your health. And for those of you who don't want to wear a smartwatch or wear another watch and just want a Fitbit tracker, the new Fitbit Inspire 2, which is probably their, their most versatile, least cost, costly device, um, which has pretty much all the functionality of the others. What they've done is improve the screen there enormously. The Inspire 1, which I'm wearing now, funny enough, has a terrible screen. You can't see it in bright light. You can't even see it in normal light. But uh, it tracks everything and reports it nice and firmly to, to the app and gives me all the information. But the new Fitbit Inspire 2 uh, is coming out. And the three of those, those three products really do, I think, give a, a solid base to Fitbit tracking and activity tracking. And just generally, they look good. They work quite well. They have smart-ish watch phone features. It's not quite the same thing as a fully functional Apple Watch combined with an um, Apple phone or a Samsung watch, which I'm playing with a new Samsung watch with the, the, 
the new Samsung Note 20 Plus, and that also is a fully functional auto-tracking machine of Note, really high quality, looks much more like a normal, chunky, fashionable watch. But the new Versa range and the new Sense range really seem to have hit the sweet spot in terms of exactly where we're going and introduced brand new technology and brand new features that I believe significantly move the sort of smart health uh, market in, in a really positive way. So you can, once you start tracking your heart rate, you start tracking your temperature, you start tracking your, your um, stress levels and all the other activities that you get up to, I think we're going to see, as I've said before, we are definitely going to see a big jump in the utility and the ability for um, these these apps to have a fundamental change and these wearables to have a fundamental change on, on our health, on our activity, and everything else that goes around it. Obviously, the one thing that I'm not entirely keen on, they've got a brand new Fitbit Premium, which costs you around about 120 Rand a month, which gives you all sorts of activity based on or activity led by the sensors that come off your various devices. And I've tried it for a while, and I didn't find it that compelling. But just generally, the basic app is is good. It gives you enormous amount of uh, information. And I found that it's modified my eating habits, it's modified my activity habits, and now we'll probably take it to the next level using the sense sensors and uh, see how unstressed I can get when I'm trying to work out and when I'm trying to avoid the traffic and all sorts of things. It's going to be pretty, pretty, pretty insane. So I'll let you know when I get one in my hands and we can actually do a full review and uh, we'll see exactly how unstressed I can get in one hour of talking on High FM. And we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And now that we've finished strapping wearables all over our arms, I mean, every self-respecting geek needs to have at least two. But uh, I'll leave that to you guys to decide whether you should or shouldn't. But there are the choices getting more interesting. There are a lot of good products out there. And um, Fitbit seem to be doing a great job of staying ahead of the curve by introducing brand new sensor technology and brand new platforms that use that sensor technology in a really smart and uh, sophisticated way. So stay tuned. I think we are in for some interesting stuff going forward. But now on to my gadget of the week, which is always great fun. And I'm super fortunate. I get to play with all the latest toys. And I do it only because I want to, you know, feedback what's going on to you know, the loyal listeners of Chi FM, which is very, very important. But one area that has been around for a while and something that a lot of people uh, have mentioned to me is a challenge. What do you do with all these unbelievably cool, fragile slim, incredibly powerful smartphones if you actually do manual or industrial work or you're out on a farm or you're, I don't know, there are a million things that you can do. You want to go swimming, doesn't matter what it is. Phones have become better. They have become waterproof. You can be a little bit more life-proof than they used to be. But still, it's simple fact is when you've got a glass front, glass back, in a fairly slick and slippery device, you are looking for trouble if you're going to try to take it anywhere other than, you know, to the park for a gentle stroll. Well, a company known as Bullet 
couple of years ago, clearly saw the need for a solid, rugged communication device. And they launched and licensed the CAT brand uh, from CAT, the big Caterpillar uh, trucks and Caterpillar construction machines and you name it. And they took this brand and generated a brilliant range of phones that were specifically designed for those that need something that can take a serious punch. And the latest from them is the Cat S42, which I've had the pleasure of playing with for the last couple of weeks. And I must report that uh, having a rugged phone that you can literally walk on, stand on, chuck around, drop onto the floor, not worry whether it gets muddy, dirty or sandy, um, or whatever it is that you do, take it into the garden, drop it and water it and you name it, or take it onto the construction site, throw it off the building, you know, generally get concrete all over it, makes a huge difference. And the simple fact is that all of us have got a need for a smartphone at all times, whether it's just to stay in touch with the office, stay in touch with your customers, take measurements, make calls, accept payments, make payments, whatever it is that you do, you need a smart device. You can no longer lock away your cell phone and go out into the field and do things. You need it. They've all got massive sensors. You do measuring with it. In fact, there's an app for pretty much everything. Whereas before you used to take a whole box load of tools for measuring and doing all sorts of things and manuals to do updates. So if you're a construction worker and you're repairing something, or you're a worker that works in a big industrial complex and you need spares and you need guidance and you need manuals, they're all on your phone. You don't need to schlep around a whole host of paper documents and manuals and blueprints and everything. So the smartphone has become an indispensable tool of the modern age. And when you put it all together in a, a solid, rugged, easily manageable device like the new Cat S42, it uh, it makes a lot of sense. Now, there is a whole range from the, from this is the middle of their range. They've got the 52 and the 62. They've got some with infrared sensors, which is great fun, very relevant right now. With uh, COVID, you can scan people and see their temperature from a couple of, uh, a couple of uh, meters away quite quietly, and it all pops up on the screen. But the S42 is a 5.5-inch handset. It's relatively small. It's 12.7 millimeters deep, 77 millimeters wide, and 161 millimeters tall. And it is relatively heavy. But the reason for that is that they've added tremendous protective bumpers on all sides. It's got a rugged, ribbed, matte black, rubberized back, which is really important. It doesn't slip. And it's got a solid double um, screen to make it really hard and really solid. What they've done to keep the price down is they've removed all the fancy stuff. There's no fingerprint reader. There's no um, USB-C. It comes with a standard 3.5mm headset, uh, you know, headset jack. And there is an, some micro SD combined trade, so you can add a little bit of uh, memory if you need it. It's got a standard IPS panel with HD plus resolution, which is good. It's not great. Uh, the brightness is more than good enough. And the, the resolution is certainly sharp enough for most work. Um, and the Gorilla Glass 5 screen is a little bit shiny, so it's a bit reflective, especially if you work outdoors. But what they've done is they've brought the, the lip around the outside up, so you don't need a case for this. It has a case. 
and um, it, it protects the screen to some extent. Where I can see there are slight compromises within the overall package is that it, it uses a fairly entry-level MediaTek processor. It only comes with 3 gig of RAM and only 32 gig of internal storage, which by today's standards is pretty small. Um, not that I had much trouble as long as I didn't try to run any games and I didn't have too many apps open, but generally it's a teeny bit sluggish and uh, it's probably not going to be your, your main or only phone. But for what it does, for where it fits within the, the context of of rugged, hard, hard-working, solid phones, it does a really good job. And the key things here are battery life, really good, um, partly due to the slow processor and the lower resolution screen, but a good combination. You don't have to worry. You go out in the field, charge in the morning, get back late at night, and it's still got a bit of charge. It comes with a whole host, which is really cool, of, of apps built into a, a folder, and it's really got a lot, they call it the toolbox, and it's got a whole selection of apps for various um, purposes. So farming, business tools, construction, outdoors, and some rugged tools. Not quite sure what that means, but they've got them. And a lot of them are, are industry specific, so you may or may not use them. And most of them are actually quite useful depending on where you are and what you're doing. So as I said, the phone becomes your measuring tool. It becomes your, your it just has so many different functions. The amount of apps out there that are available are, are pretty staggering. And if the memory gets too slow, you can uninstall all the ones that you don't want and use only the ones that make sense, or you add an SD card and get it off. So in summary, the CAT S42 is not a phone for everybody, but as a second device for work, off-road biking, construction, any form of, of situation where you need an unbreakable, rugged communication tool, it is a great device. The price is good. Sells for around about seven eight nine nine. You can check it out. You can get it from most mobile dealers countrywide, and it really is a solid, very unbreakable. It's not entirely bulletproof, but it's certainly uh, not going to crack. Oh, one thing I didn't mention, which is very interesting, and I don't know how they do this: when your fingers are wet, or the screen is wet, or muddy, or covered in dirt, the screen still works, which a lot of phones don't. It's quite interesting. Don't even though they're waterproof. Once they get wet, the screen stops responding. The screen continues responding, which is quite a smart move. So overall, a good device at a reasonable price that really does the job. The cameras, don't know if I mentioned them, the cameras are decent, not brilliant, but they do the job more than adequately. So that's the new CAT S42. You can pick it up pretty much anywhere, have a look at Take A Lot, have a look at all the various uh, online stores and mobile networks. And I think if you're looking for this sort of thing, this is a good one at a reasonable price. Now we're going to have a quick break for our sponsors and I'll be back to wrap up today's show, which was pretty interesting. Lots of gadgets and gizmos this week. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And last week I touched on a part of the new Samsung ecosystem that I'm playing with right now, and that is the Watch 3, the S20 Plus, and, of course, the new Galaxy Buds Live. And they kindly gave me a pair that weren't gold because that looks a little bit much for me. But I've got a black pair, and they look like beans, which is quite interesting. <laughs> 
very, very unusual. I don't know where this came from. I don't know what research uh, Samsung did. But the new Galaxy Buds Live are bean-shaped here, uh, earpieces. Essentially, the current the current model of Galaxy Buds were standard-looking in-ear earpieces, which worked, I think, extremely well. They worked very well with Samsung devices, but they also paired well with iPhones. They paired well with any other Android device. And they were really good quality, fully waterproof, and great running, training, and just general um, good headphones. Well, they've taken these to literally the next level. They've come out with the newest shape, if you want to call it that, for a true wireless earbud. And they look like little big beans, which you pop in your ears. Now, I thought that would be a real problem for me. I didn't actually figure out how in heaven's name this was going to work well and sound good, but they do. They pop in, and what I have found from speaking to a lot of people who've tried them is they don't work for everyone's ears, but no headphone is particularly universal. But if they do fit, they fit really well. They don't fall out. They're quite innocuous. You haven't got these little sticks sticking out of your head like another product or a lot of other products have. You know, you look like you've got two little toothpicks or, or earbuds poking out of your head with sticks. They're pretty discreet. But more important than that, is that they've got noise cancelling built in, which I did not find particularly effective. The more I've used them, the more I've tried it with or without, it just seems to eat battery life and doesn't bring much benefit because they do fit quite snugly and they do add a touch of noise cancelling in any in any event. But sonically, um, even with the ANC, the noise cancelling on or off, sonically they are the best devices that I've heard from Samsung. Very tonally balanced they play relatively loud, again, depending on the phone that you're using. The battery life is pretty spectacular. And something that really blew me away, I couldn't believe that uh, an earbud that little could have such decent bass because there's no particular space for it. It's just this little bean you pop in your ear and give it a little wiggle to make it seat nicely. The one thing I did find is that they are incredibly solid once they're in. They don't fall out. I've used them for gym. I've been for a run with them. And that's where I actually appreciate the fact that they're not in-ear. You can hear the ambient noise uh, around. They're tuned for sound by AKG, which is a noted German headphone brand, which Samsung, by the way, own. So overall, I must say that if you're looking for a pair of earbuds, and for whatever reason, even Apple users who don't want the the, the Apple versions – this is an incredibly well-thought-out, long-lasting um, head, headphone with great sound. The sound is really, really, really good. I'm very impressed about it. And you can get – they've got a whole new chip, Samsung. You can get if you accidentally forgot to char- forget to charge them. So you've got about seven to nine hours, depending on how loud and how you play them, from a charge, and when you pop them in the case, you get an extra two charges, so you can get anything up to 25 hours just with a standard fully charged case and a fully charged set of buds. Um, but, and, but if you do forget and you need to emergency charge them, and I've tried this, it's brilliant, you can, in five minutes charging in the case or plugged in, you get around an hour of extra playing time, which is pretty, pretty easy. With a Samsung device, the connection is so slick, Works a lot like the Apple version. You open up the case and it finds it and connects, downloads the app, 
and you can set all sorts of things in the app. You can change the tonal qualities. You can set pass-through. You can set all the various settings. You can upgrade the buds, which is great. And obviously, it, it works with your Bigsby Smart Assistant or any other Smart Assistant that's built into your phone. So all in all, um, I think these are some of the most interesting Decent sounding and relatively well priced. They've, the prices vary, but they're in the three, uh, four to five thousand rand range. Sorry, not the three. That's the older version. But generally, um, they're well priced. They're brilliantly made. They're waterproof as well. Not entirely, you can't go swimming with them, but they're certainly water resistant. And combined with the app, which is available on Android and iOS, they are extremely easy to use. And they, they really work incredibly well. And once you get over the fact that they look exactly like little beans, um, and generally when you put beans in your ear, you rush up to the doctor to have them removed, and certainly did that many times with my kids. But generally, these are excellent, excellent wireless headphones, and they certainly hit the note pretty much more often than not. And on that note, I'm afraid I have to leave you. This has been fun. Lots of gizmos and gadgets and news and relevant tech stuff that you just absolutely needed to know. So till same time, same place, next week, this is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk right here on High FM.